In this episode, I talk about death, how every fear is related to it, and how the power of Jesus can overcome it all. Hello, friends. I, you know, I miss my best friend. I miss Jenna, who used to co-host this podcast with me. But my wife and I actually got to see her and Tony, her husband, um, over FaceTime recently, and that was really nice. Um, but the sad part is Tony actually got really, really mad at me because um, he kept asking me to to stop saying his name backwards, and I said, "Why not?" Hey everyone, hope you got that one. <laughs> that was a partially true story, but I did get to see Jenna, um, and it is episode 94, and so glad that you are with us. Um, I love when puns sneak up on you like that, but if you're a long-time listener, then you know that's how we do things here, and you also know that the highest compliment you could pay this podcast is to share it on social media, especially on Instagram. Make sure you tag us at Thought, all spelled out on Instagram. Uh, you can also go to our website, manafoodforthought.com, and you get access to all of our content there, the weekly psalm reflections that I write, all of our podcast episode log, our old vlogs that are probably really embarrassing, and you can contact us there, and you can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $1 a month, and you can keep this podcast alive and going by financially supporting us in that way. So with all that being said, it's so good to be with you. Um, let me share a peak pit plug for this week. The peak is that when this episode comes out, my wife and I will be fully vaccinated after our two-week waiting period and so excited to open up our circle a little bit more. Um, we've been very good, very safe, very um, aligned and obedient to what the recommended guidelines have been, and it's been very difficult, but we're excited to see some light at the end of the tunnel. So if you're with us in that, you know, that's a wonderful thing. Praise God. And we'll have our new dryer. The whole dryer situation that I messed up by ordering an electric dryer instead of a gas dryer, that will be installed this the day that this podcast comes out. So as you're listening to this, pray that everything goes well and that I didn't do something else wrong or there's not some other setbacks. We can actually do laundry in our own house again. It's been a couple months, so that would be super great. Anyways, um, those are the peaks. The pits have been pretty low, if I'm being honest. Um, I... I was having some strange symptoms over the past few weeks and they kept escalating. I called an advice nurse through our uh, uh, doctor network and they told me to go to the emergency room. So um, shout out to my friends, Natalie and Izzy, who drove me to and from the emergency room. So grateful for you both. Um, and I um, thought I had just a bunch of stuff going on. They did a bunch of tests and it was just severe anxiety symptoms. And I've just been running myself ragged, working a lot, and just developing some really, I think, bad obsessive habits about th how things need to be and when things need to get done, and it was just affecting my body in a really bad way. So I had never struggled with anxiety before this past year. Uh, it started as a result of COVID, but then um, I've kind of come to terms with that, and I you know, don't have any fear or anxiety about COVID itself, but... Um, I, it just has stuck around in some other way, and I'm really trying to work through that in therapy and with medication and stuff. So please pray for me. And I just want to share that because a big, I think, key of this episode is um, I think a lot of people are going to be relating to some kind of experience like that because of how our world has been shaken up and how we've had to radically shift. And 
uh, things are different. And um, so if you're if you're with me on that, if you feel like, oh, yeah, I struggle with some of those things or um, I've had some pretty low lows over this past year um, in with anxiety and depression and, you know, things like that, that um, don't be ashamed of that, that you deserve to be healthy and that it's okay that you may not feel completely in control like you used to, um, but the Lord is with you, you know? So that's been my pit, um, is just experiencing all of that and still, you know, not really being able to kind of come down off of this, like, manic, anxious type of feeling that I've had for this past week, um, without the help of medicine. So, um, pray for me, please. It's, um, it's been pretty brutal, um, getting through it a little bit at a time, one day at a time. And, um, yeah, appreciate all your prayers. My plug, um, right now I'm reading a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. He is a, um, I think he was just, the um, head pastor at Bridgetown uh, Church. It's a non-denominational church in Portland, Oregon, and he's they have a podcast, big digital ministry, and he just does really, really great work. He's a very intelligent um, and great pastor and speaker and writer, and I um, just respect him a lot. Um, so I'm reading his book right now, and it's very timely. So if you feel like, wow, definitely been overwhelmed and overworked during this time, um, like my computer is right now, if you can hear my computer fan buzzing in the background, is also overworked. Um, but if you feel that way and you need you need to slow down, um, recognize that things opening up or things being post-pandemic isn't going to do that. It's more of a, a mentality about the nature of time and priorities and hurry. And so um, just a little bit into it, but I would highly recommend it. Um, other plugs, I'm um, cooking a lot more, enjoying that, um, baking. We're starting to do this, uh, feasting and fasting, living liturgically in our home. So every Sunday is a feast day. So, um, you know, kind of anything goes, you know, we, we're no sugar, you know, in our house, but Sunday, you know, we can have a little treat, you know, so that's pretty awesome. And then, um, fasting every Friday from meat, not just, um, Fridays of Lent, you know, so that's pretty, pretty great. So I highly recommend those things. Anyways, I've been sharing a lot. Um, but really this episode, uh, it points back to my pit and it essentially, I want to talk a little bit about death and, um, I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, am I ready? You, you hear, I don't know. I don't know if you hear these stories of people who've lived these really saintly lives and they have this like peace at people's bedsides. And, um, I feel like I would just be like, someone's at my bedside, I'd be like, do something, help me. Like, you know, um, and I'm just, I'm seriously lacking peace with that, which is probably a sin because I'm lacking in prayer. Um, I, when, when anyone comes to me, you know, in counseling or in just conversation, they say like, oh, I don't have peace. I'm looking for peace. I say, okay, tell me about your prayer life. And the two are just inextricably linked. And my prayer life is not absent, but it's become very regimental. As I've spoken before, it's my tendency. I don't know if you're like that. But when that happens, I find that there's less substance in it, less grace, less real encounter and intimacy with Jesus. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe your prayers become stale or routine or something like that. Um, and and so, you know, it's, it's just a weird place that I find myself in because I find myself really contemplating and fearing death, especially a sudden death, leaving my family. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not very excited about the moment of death, you know, it's not like I love pain or anything like that, but I know 
what's on the other side. And I'm confident in that. And I'm not living in a way where I doubt, you know, like, am I going to see Jesus, you know, or not on the other side? I pray and hope that I will. But, it, you know, there's not a lot stacked against me. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a pretty decent job, I hope. Um, but I still just like the idea of leaving my family, the idea of, um, you know, dying unexpectedly or young. You hear all these stories. And, you know, a lot of that stuff just got in my head somehow. And I was just, you know, thinking about it in the ER room by myself and just like in tears waiting there for a test or a test results, you know, most of the, the evening and just realizing like, you know, I fear death, but all I really want is to rest in peace. Like I just want some rest and some peace, you know, um, but this anxiety just keeps keeps coming in you know and what anxiety really is it's the experience of of a danger fear or helplessness in response to some kind of perceived threat and so sometimes like people don't understand how anxiety attacks can come just out of nowhere and that's because a person could just be see something that reminds them of a perceived threat somewhere else in their life and their subconscious brain could take over. I mean, they could have been having a whole internal dialogue while they look totally normal at the dinner table and then all of a sudden they're tensing up or sweating. Um, and it can seem like, oh, this is just emotional or this person just needs to like get it under control. But no, like I, even someone who maybe at one time thought those things about anxiety, like I can tell you like this can take on a life of its own. Like driving behind the wheel has become difficult for me. Um, just because I don't know if I'm going to get symptomatic, you know, behind the wheel. Cause I've, I'm not, I don't know enough about how this is, you know, in my body right now. And so I guess like I'm, I'm coming to you as someone who is vulnerable and broken by this, knowing that there are a lot of people who struggle with this a lot longer, a lot more intensely than I have, or maybe you're just experiencing it now for the first time throughout this past year as a result of the pandemic. And I just... I just want to remind you of the most repeated phrase in scripture. Do not fear. Do not be troubled. And y'all, I'm, I'm really struggling to figure out why some part of me, a part that is deeply entrenched in my identity, my identity can't seem to let go and fully believe that. Fully believe that I can trust in God or that I do not need to be afraid. Like, I don't know. Can you relate to that? Like, are you someone like me who always wants to be in control I find it hard sometimes to be vulnerable, to open up. I've gotten better over time, but um, I'm much more comfortable being the trustworthy confidant than entrusting myself to others. And, um, you know, I've certainly gotten better, as I said, over the years. I'm married. You know, I have a spiritual director and regular confessor. I have a therapist now. I have a professional coach. So those people, yeah, I, I have made the choice to open up to. But in my ordinary day-to-day life, I still have these moments, you know, for me, it's just this like medical paranoia, like this thought like that comes out of nowhere, like, oh, you had a little pain in your arm, you're dying. And there's no way you can know what it is or when it's going to happen. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's just like, whoa, like, where did that come from? And then my whole body tenses up and I can't stop thinking it. I can't stop believing it. And it's like this crazy thing. And I don't know, it reminds me of a story in scripture. It reminds me of the story of Peter walking on water in Matthew 14. And I want to read it for you. Um, this happens, you know, when the disciples are in the boat, Jesus is not with them and the storm, um, begins to well up at sea. And it says, then Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and proceed him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was left there alone. 
Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The first thing I want to point out here is just what's important to know for this story about the nature of water and how water was viewed by the Jews. I mean, remember, water was involved in the first miracle of Jesus, turning water to wine. It was in the first plague, turning the Nile River to blood. It was in the great flood that, you know, restarted humanity with Noah. It had it had creative powers and it had destructive powers. But it was also um, a place that was kind of sinister, where um, Jews would be very likely to believe that evil dwelled. And it's not uncommon for us still, like dark water is kind of scary, you know, like when you see like all of a sudden the ocean floor gets really dark and drops into a cavern, the first instinct is not like, ooh, I want to go down there, it's probably safe, you know. Um, But listen to this, this is from Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or shape, with darkness over the abyss, and a mighty wind sweeping over the waters. So in the very beginning... There is a sense of like chaotic darkness that exists in the water, in just water, dark water. And then it says later in Genesis 3, when the serpent comes, it says, Now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he's the one, he asked the woman, Did God really say you shall not eat of the the trees in the garden? Now that word for serpent or for snake is the Hebrew word nahash. It actually means a sea serpent, like a giant sea dragon. It's not some little garden snake. Like the, the beasts of the deep, of the water... If you've ever seen old maps, you know, um, where people draw these mythical creatures on there, um, it, it comes from this, you know, kind of built-in cultural fear that there's something lurking there in the unknown, something terrifying. And and so there was this kind of this belief that evil or sinister things dwelled in the water. And we see this all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation. It says in Revelation 13, the vision of John, he says, I saw a beast come out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. And it's one of these beasts of, um, of terror or judgment in the book of Revelation. And so, um, in the Gospel of Mark, this is why it's so, like, um, difficult, you know, to understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying um, when he says, Whoever causes these least ones of mine to, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Like, Jesus is basically saying here, like, you might as well, like, if you're going to lead a child astray, you might as well, like, go down and be with the demons who dwell in the darkness of the deep. Like, that's basically, like, you're it. That's it. You're condemned. Like, you cannot corrupt them, you know? And so it was just, I just find it very 
uh, interesting that that nature and that belief of water kind of colors this story and also teaches us like how how like crazy fishermen probably were like fishermen were these kind of like adventurers like they're willing to go and you know skirt on the surface of the the dwelling place or the entrance to darkness and chaos and you know evil um and so i don't know i don't know if you um if, if that means anything to you but i think um or makes the story come alive but i think it's it's a really cool piece to know about this story that as the waves are, are building up you can probably hear my son crying in the background um so pray for him um as the the waves are welling up i mean it's just this sense of like we're being enveloped by evil we're being enveloped by darkness and so it's no wonder when jesus comes on the water they think it's a ghost they think it's just so great here's what's next all right this is it we're gonna die and for fishermen, people who are used to the Sea of Galilee, to freak out, like, this had to be bad. This had to be bad. And yet, Simon Peter, this is one of these great, like, kind of just bullheaded acts of bold faith that Peter demonstrates in the Gospels. You know, doesn't necessarily think through the situation, but is willing to kind of follow Jesus wherever to the end. Um, he says, if it is you... Let me come out to you onto the water. And just think about that. Like Peter is saying, like, let I'm gonna step on the gates of hell, practically. And Jesus says, Come. And he does it. Like the that act of faith to it's not just faith in Jesus, but it's also faith that supersedes the fear of what will happen if you're wrong. And that's why when he stops focusing on Jesus and he starts focusing on the waves, he starts focusing on the fear and the darkness again, he begins to sink and he calls out for help. And I love this line. The second he calls out for help, the first word that follows is immediately. Immediately Jesus extended his hand to save him. And when he does, what does he say? Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I think that's unfairly sometimes just thought of like, Peter, why'd you doubt in me? But I think part of it is like, why'd you doubt in yourself? Like, you got out of the boat. You stepped on the face of darkness. Like, if you can do that in trying to come and follow me, you can do anything. If you can believe the words that I tell you and you do that, you can do anything. Why did you doubt in yourself? Why did you lose hope in what you know? And then maybe a little bit of why did you lose faith in me? And I think that's why this story relates to me so much because I feel like I shouldn't struggle with this, right? You know, like I believe in Jesus. I know that heaven is real. I'm living my life in such a way that when I die, like I'm confident that I will go there with purgatory, probably definitely first. But like that, it's just, you know, it's a reality that I know and that I believe. But why doesn't it affect this, this fear, this anxiety? And, you know, I don't know if you can relate to this. I feel like there's a lot of social pressure, especially once you or most of the people are vaccinated. Um, there's this pressure to kind of go back to the same pace you lived at before. But what people don't realize or talk about is that there's going to be speed bumps on that fast track back to normalcy, quote unquote normalcy. Post-pandemic anxiety and stress is going to be a real thing. And it's going to take our bodies, our minds and our routines a, a while to adjust. There will be growing pains. And I'm going to experience them. Maybe you will too. And I just want to be someone who can tell you like, that's okay. It's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to be wondering like, 
Is it time to go step out? Because every time I, I, I feel like I try, I sink. Is it time to really fix my eyes on Jesus and not on the storm, not on the anxiety, not on what worries me? And I just want to encourage you to know that Jesus has got you. It's okay if you think it's scary, even when it seems like no one else does. It's okay for you to think a situation is fearful or worrisome, even when no one else seems to, to think that. Odds are they're feeling similar things in different ways. But this is what I'm experiencing. And I know there's a lot of people out there experiencing it. And so if you are too, I just want you to know, like, your feelings are valid. And you don't have to feel like you're broken or so excited to go back to normal. And now, like, you can't. You know, like everything else is going to return but you. And you're going to be left behind. Or that these anxieties will take over and actually your fears will come true. You know, I worry that my anxiety is going to get so uncontrolled that it's actually going to affect me so badly physically that the things that I worry are wrong with me are actually going to become wrong with me. And I have no reason to believe that because every test, everything has come back negative, you know, but yet I lay down at night to go to sleep after a seemingly good day. And then all I can think about is this and I toss and turn and I need medication to just go to sleep. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much you relate to that. Maybe you don't relate to it at all, but I think it's helpful to hear the perspective of what other people are going through. And I know there's people who've been blessed and aren't going through that, but I want you to know that if you are, or you feel like, you know, just some kind of hesitancy or like, like your, your body or your mind is not, you know, matching what you hope, you know, at this time or, or any of the things that I've said, I just want you to know you're not alone and that Jesus does have you like the end of the day. I can be anxious all day, worried about if I'm going to die. And at the end of the day, if I do die, then all I did was waste the day being anxious. Nothing would have changed it. But if I live my life in such a way that I'm pursuing Jesus and I'm living today, like, okay, maybe I will die at the end of the day, but I don't let it overcome me. Then I'm going to have a great day. And so I'll either be prepared at the end of the day to die, or if I don't, then I have the gift of tomorrow. I know that may be a very morbid episode for you who are uh, looking for something maybe a little more uplifting, but I think this is a reality a lot of people will be dealing with and already are and have been. And so I just want to kind of share how that was going on in my own life. Ask for you to pray for me, please. I've definitely been feeling the prayers of those who've been praying for me. Pray for peace and um, elimination of worry and hurry in my life and um, relief from this anxiety. And um, if you need prayers, if you need an intercessor like I do, I want to turn your attention to one of Pope Francis's favorite intercessors, Mary, under the title Our Lady Undoer of Knots or Untire of Knots. Um, you may have just recently heard about her because she is a favorite of Pope Francis, um, but not necessarily a common title of Mary that was circulated before Pope Francis made her more popular um, because it's a little bit more recent. But So it's the name of a Marian devotion, but it's also the name of a painting from the Baroque era that represents the devotion. Uh, it's a painting by Johann Georg Melchior Schmidte, I love saying that name, uh, who painted it around 1700. And it's in St. Peter Amperlach. Um, it's the pilgrimage church 
um, otherwise known as the Perlach Church in Augsburg, Bavaria, Germany, so in the southern area of Germany. Um, and so Pope Francis, he saw the image there while he was in Germany as a student. And so he brought her image and, and started venerating her in Latin America. And when he became, you know, a bishop or archbishop down there, that continued. And um, the only church dedicated to her in North America is um, Our Lady Un- Undoer of Knots in Pikesville, Maryland. And uh, it's an independent Catholic parish of the Catholic Apostolic Church in North America. Okay, so I don't think that's a real Catholic church. I should have read that. Anyways, so... Um, but most of what we know about this is from the painting. You know, if you look at the painting, um, it's kind of how Mary is depicted in the Immaculate Conception, um, where she has a crescent moon underneath her. She's surrounded by angels. Um, she also has the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove above her. She's got the circle of stars, but she's untying knots from a long ribbon. And at the same time, her foot is on the head of a snake, but it's a knotted snake, uh, who obviously represents the devil and uh, f- her fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, 15, which is sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the first promise of a Savior, where God says, I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. Meaning there's a promise. Someone will come, some offspring of the woman, and there'll be enmity between that offspring and the devil, and um, she will crush the head of the serpent. Um, And so that always depicted... Uh, happening there in many images of Mary. There's also an image at the bottom part of the picture um, of a a scene from the book of Tobit. Um, It's Tobias walking with his dog and the archangel Raphael going to meet Sarah, his wife, and ask her to be his wife. So it's just an interesting, I don't know why that's in there. Maybe the the painter really liked that story. Um, But a great and beautiful devotion. Um, I want to read something from St. Irenaeus of Lyon that he writes about Mary. And he says this, The knot of Eve's disobedience was loosed by the obedience of Mary. For what the Virgin Eve had bound fast through unbelief, this did the Virgin Mary set free through faith. And so we look to Mary as an example of faith in the ways where it's difficult for us to believe, difficult for us to be obedient, we look to our perfect model of obedience and belief in Mary, and we ask her to pray that these things would be untangled. And so I pray in this moment, um, just in the name of Jesus and through the intercession of, of Our Lady, Undoer of Knots, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen, that Mama Mary, you would pray for us, those who are struggling with anxiety, those who are struggling with mental health, depression, stress, worry, um, just a sense of being overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated, um, stuck, feeling, you know, fill in the blank than they've ever felt before. Whatever that may be, Mom, we just ask that you, um, you help us, you pray for us, you untie those knots, and that you um, allow us to be drawn closer to your Son through your prayers, through the prayers of your spouse, St. Joseph. And we take all of these intentions, we lay them at your feet, so that you will bring them to the feet of your son, Jesus. I pray all this in your most precious name. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Um, yeah, I hope that was helpful for you. I think it never hurts to continue talking about this and normalizing conversations like this. So don't feel ashamed to get help. Don't feel ashamed to go to therapy, to get on medication. 
um, because we've learned we can't do this on our own. It's the gospel for this upcoming Sunday in John 15. You can do nothing on your own. I am the vine and you are the branches. Unless you remain in me, uh, you cannot bear fruit. And so we can't do anything without the Lord. And so sometimes our limitations mean that we need help. And sometimes the way the Lord wants to help us is through modern technology and other people. So don't be afraid to be vulnerable, to ask for help, but also to recognize in the storms of life, when the waves get high, when the sea is dark, when it seems like there are ghosts and specters in your mind or around you, whatever is um, oppressing you or tampering with you, to know that Jesus is real and that he immediately will come and intervene when you call out to him for help. So let him trust in him, get out of the way so that he can take that burden onto himself because he already died for it. So you don't need to carry it any longer. That is all I have to say. God bless you. Pray for me as I pray for you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.